Okay, tonight we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to build for us a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We won't reach all the way back into Genesis to see the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. What we'll do is just talk a bit about an orthodox view of the Holy Spirit. So we'll talk some about the person of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we'll talk some about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll examine, in some degree, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes when you say the gifts of the Holy Spirit, most people's minds go immediately uh, to what? Speaking in tongues. Well, we're not going to talk about that. I'm going to tell you why when we get there. Uh, but, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not, from my estimation, for us today, are not the sign gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are much more mundane. You find a couple of lists of them and we'll take a look at them. But tonight what I want to do is just for the time we have together is just just let us slow down and let's think. Because Baptists don't do this very much. Let's not the thinking part. Let's think. <laughs> let's think some together about the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Father, we come to you under the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us hundreds and even millions of little provisions that we did not recognize today. That your grace is extended in ways we haven't seen. That we have not thanked you for. And so for all the little things that came together to bring us here tonight, we thank you for that. We thank you for the chance to pause and to open your word, to be here with brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to enjoy fellowship, and to stand under the authority of the Bible. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's go right to the handout and, um, and get started. You'll notice when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we'll talk first about the person of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the summary statement right there in blue. Does everybody have this? Do you want this sheet? Okay, you don't need it. You probably have it memorized already, don't you? Right there in blue, you see the summary. The summary is the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We've got that. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, equal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Equal in terms of nature, equal in power, and equal in glory with the Father and the Son, and is to be worshipped together with them. So there are several ways you could break that statement down. There's no need for us to break it down. It is a summary statement of who we believe the Holy Spirit is. You can reach back into Genesis and see from the very beginning the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can see in the Old Testament intermittently how the Holy Spirit worked and what the Holy Spirit did. And then when we get to the New Testament, after the Gospels, Jesus crucified, dead and buried, raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down. And in Acts chapter 2, we'll look at it. When the church is born, the Holy Spirit now indwells in people. It's not just showing up to make things happen. The Holy Spirit, when you come to faith in Jesus, is in you. Person of the Holy Spirit. Let's uh, start there in verse 1. I mean, in, in verse 1, in the, in the first point. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. That is to say, the Holy Spirit is not a power, is not an influence, is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
Matthew 28 is what I'm going to preach this Sunday. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we call it the Great Commission. Jesus, before he ascended, gave directions to the disciples. And one of those directions was to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A triune God, a person. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit engages in personal activities. You see it all through the Scripture. When you see the Holy Spirit show up in the Bible, there is either speaking or teaching or praying or bearing witness. Jesus gives us in the New Testament, the first pictures of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and Jesus describes the Holy Spirit for us uh, most explicitly in John chapter 14, as Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as another comforter. Do you guys have the Scripture references, or do you have the text of Scripture there too? There's some debate, because I left some things out. The first time I did the outline of day, it was nine pages. That's right. Mike didn't see that one. It was nine pages. Most of it was Bible. And so I've cut some of that out. Uh, but I, I want you to have it because just in case you come here from work, you don't have your Bible or something, um, I want you to have the Bible in, in the outline. Mike, do you put the Bible in the outline? No, you don't, do you? You don't love our people? You don't want them to have the Bible? John chapter 14 Jesus describes for us the Holy Spirit. Let me take you to a couple of passages. Let's go to John 14, uh, verse 16. I'll try to read it in its context. <clears throat> Jesus says in John 14, 15 and 16, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Drop down the page to John chapter 14, verse 26. I'll back up to verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is like a coach. Somebody that's going to comfort, guide, lead, convict. We'll talk about that. The Helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send, it's very important to see this verse, the Father will send in my name, so the Holy Spirit comes in the name of Jesus and sent from the Father. There's the Trinity. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I can turn the page in your Bible if you have it to John chapter 15, verse 26. Some more discussion about the Holy Spirit. I'll back up verse 25 and, uh, and read it. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds. Look where it comes from. From the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit from the Father bears witness about Jesus. So you're getting some listening to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talks about uh, the Holy Spirit is a comforter, another helper that will come and take his place. Okay, so that's Jesus predicting the Holy Spirit. Let's fast forward just a few days, weeks, to when the Holy Spirit actually descends on believers. You can find it in Acts chapter 2. It's called the Day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost. 
There's a whole lot there. Did I give you 21 verses? I did, didn't I? At uh, one point I had 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 here. All the chapters. That's why it was nine pages. So you can see this. This seems like a lot. But, but here is the description of the Holy Spirit coming. Let me read it to you. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's the disciples. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues. If you had the King James, it probably says cloven tongues. Which is more fun to say, but you understand it better when I say divided tongues. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues. Other languages. That, that phrase, other tongues, that word is language. That's important as you understand thinking about speaking in tongues, especially modern day understanding of that. I'm going to say, I'll just show you my hand right up front. I don't think that modern day charismatic speaking in tongues as it's understood is what was going on here or in any other part of the New Testament. But we'll save that for a little, little bit down. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's important, every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one, look, right there it is. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, I mean, so all over the place, people speaking all kinds of different languages, they are hearing. These guys are speaking in tongues, right? Okay. Cretans and um, Arabians, we hear them telling, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocked and said, they're filled with new wine. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. And notice his defense as to why they're not drunk. Not that they don't drink. He says, These people are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. It's early. I always thought that was funny that he doesn't say, you know... <clears throat> right, wait till later. So, uh, this is what he says. This is... But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So the coming of the Holy Spirit then is a fulfillment of what was prophesied in the Old Testament when the new covenant would come. Christ has ascended. The Holy Spirit has descended on believers. And then you have the description of what was said in Joel. Now, all of that to say, okay, so we've talked about what the Holy Spirit does, how Jesus described the Holy Spirit, then we moved very quickly into history. 
when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So this was the inauguration of the church. Most of us would say in Acts chapter 2, this is when the New Testament church was born. Does find it, it finds its roots in the Old Testament, certainly, but shows up here in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and then there is an ingathering, right? Okay, so we got that. Jesus' description, what the Holy Spirit does, when the Holy Spirit came. And now I want you to see that in the New Testament, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit immediately is thought of being divine. This is God. You'll hear people say that uh, you'll never, you don't find the Trinity in the Bible. Ever heard somebody say that? Can't find the word Trinity. It's true. You do not. That is, a, um, that is a word we use to describe a truth that is there. Doesn't mean that the Trinity is not there. The Trinity is there. But it's good for us to see different spots where the Holy Spirit, maybe the third person of the Trinity, and the first person of the Trinity are equated. Let me take you to one of those spots. It's in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is a terrible tale of the New Testament church. Acts chapter 5 is Ananias and Sapphira. Remember those? I mentioned them a week or two ago. Uh, it's when they were lying about money and God struck them. I mean, it's a terrible story. And um, in the middle of it, there doesn't seem to be much compassion with Peter. But he is accusing them. And I want you to listen to the phraseology. I don't want you to think about the story and the setting of the story. I just want you to listen to what Peter says and how he describes the Holy Spirit and the Father as equal. Okay, I'll pick up in verse 3. You, oh, you got it in front of you. Do you have Acts 5, 3 through 11? I can't. Somebody left that out. But you'll have it up here, right? We have it. Oh, yeah. Christina's got it all. Yeah. Or if you, you know, you got your Bible, right. You get an A. Fact, you're fact checking? <laughs> you know, that's my whole life. I'm, my, I'm being fact checked almost every Sunday. I always get something. You said this. Did you mean to say this? I got home Sunday afternoon. And that was the first message I saw. When you were preaching, did you mean to say so and so and so? Yes, I meant to say that. All right, listen to what, uh, listen to what Luke writes for us. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So you mark that. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your hand? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So do you see how Peter equated You've lied to the Holy Spirit. He said it in one spot. And then down here later, you've lied to God. They're the same as Peter is describing. It's important for us to get this. So as we think about our God as being a triune God. And then later on, it picks up. The story picks up uh, down in verse 9. Um, after he talked to uh, Ananias, he's talking to Sapphira. And he says to her that she's testing you, you have tested the Spirit of the Lord. So the, the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to see this, that the Holy Spirit is God Himself. I, I, I do think it's right when you're praying. I think it's right to address your prayers to the Father 
through the Son, by the Spirit. I also think it's right to ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance, to fill you, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to move in your heart. I think it's right on a Sunday morning to ask the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. You guys hear what I'm saying? I think praying right, you're praying to the Father through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Even still, if the Spirit is God Himself, then, I, then that's, a, that's a good prayer to pray. Okay. Maybe you didn't struggle with that. I don't know. One of my own personal hang-ups. All right, so we've talked about the person. I went pretty quickly through the person of the Holy Spirit. Any questions about the person of the Holy Spirit? I feel like most of you, this is not... Um, most of you here, if you spent some time in the Bible, you've thought through some theology in some way, you're not hung up on... You've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anybody got any questions about the person of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Let's talk then about the work of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit actually do? And I would just say, uh, there's a whole lot the Holy Spirit does. I'm going to try to run through some of the things we see in the Bible and the, some of the things we know from the New Testament that the Holy Spirit does. I will not cover it all. There are going to be some things you're going to say, well, the Holy Spirit does this, and I'm going to say, yes, it does that. I want to show you primarily what does the Bible say that the Holy Spirit actually does. And the first one is that the Holy Spirit speaks. In the Old Testament, you see pictures of it. The Holy Spirit speaks. I'll give you just a couple of them. Um, what about Moses? Do you have that passage there in front of you? In uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 16 17? <laughs> it, you know, it's confusing because I'll say the passage, and it's like, no, I, I've got the, like where it is in the Bible. I just don't have the Bible itself. What do y'all have? The scripture, like the, the reference. Okay. You see the confusion, right? Yeah. All right. Numbers chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. Okay, here's what the Lord says to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and offer uh, over to them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. I'll come down, I'll talk with you there, and I will, I will take some of the Spirit. This is different how we understand the Holy Spirit working in the New Testament with us. I will take some of the Spirit that is on you, I'll put it on them, and they will bear, bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it by yourself alone. Then drop down to verse 25. The Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to him, and took some of the Spirit that was on him, put it on the 70 elders. The Spirit is put on those elders, and as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They spoke. The Spirit comes speaking, right? And then notice the little uh, the statement afterwards. But they didn't continue to do it. That's the difference between how the Holy Spirit works in the New Testament, how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. Another example. If you have a Bible, you can flip over to the Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24 is the story of Balaam. Anybody know anything about Balaam? Right? He did what? 
Yep. Um, if you have it, uh, if you have it in the King James. King James. What? In King James, it's Balaam's ass, right? And it's Balaam's ass spoke to it. I heard an old preacher say one time, that ain't the first time that the Lord's spoken to a jackass. I don't know if that's true or not. But there, go read the story. If you hadn't read the story, you're thinking, what is that preacher? Did he just say a bad word? You go read the story if it's in the King James. Balaam is a prophet riding on his donkey. His donkey speaks to him. Balaam is not a good guy. He is not a believer. He doesn't follow the Lord. He's, you don't model anything. In fact, he's used in Revelation to talk about people that are against God. But notice what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes in Numbers 24 and makes Balaam speak. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Balaam lifted up his eyes. He saw Israel can't, uh, camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came on him and he took up his discourse. And this is what he said. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eyes open. The oracle of the man who hears the words of God, who sees the visions of the Almighty and falling down with his eyes uncovered. Then, he's, then he blesses. If you read the story of it, he blesses God's people. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. Now, come to the New Testament, to the story of Jesus before he grows up. Let's look at the, at the prophecy of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 41 and 42. Uh, it's about Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, Mary is the mother of Jesus. She's carrying the baby Jesus. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, she's carrying John the Baptist, remember? Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed, so she speaks with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Okay, that's Elizabeth. Let's go to Zechariah. You find it there in the passage. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, Zechariah. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and preached. He prophesied. Holy Spirit comes, speaks. What does the Holy Spirit do? Speaks. What about, there's another one, Simeon. Uh, you can turn down to uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and then he, listen to what he said. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Speaking. That's what you see in the Old Testament. You see it coming into the New Testament with uh, John the Baptist, his mother and father, with Simeon and Jesus' presence. The Holy Spirit is still working like it was in the Old Testament. It's not until the death of Jesus on the cross the resurrection of Jesus, uh, His ascension into heaven, 
And now there's a new covenant. When the Holy Spirit comes now, and when the Holy Spirit speaks now, it's going to be different. Holy Spirit still speaks. Where does He speak? I think Peter draws it out for us in 2 Peter. This is a great passage for your understanding of the Bible. Why do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. This is what Peter says. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, what you got in your hands if you, if you hold a Bible, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So don't read the Bible and say, what does this mean to you? It doesn't come from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Bible. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is, um, is speaking. Well, that's not all the Holy Spirit does. Then let's talk about... Let's sort of talk about how he works in salvation. I'll give you a couple of words, especially um, as it comes to salvation and then how he works for us as, as believers. Here's the first word. It's the word redemption, or you have it be, I suppose, in yours. Redemption. What, what do I mean by that? Okay. I tried to write it in a way that we can understand. All the benefits, all the benefits that God provides in. Yours says is, it should be in. All the benefits that God provides in Jesus Christ come to us through the Holy Spirit and unite us to Christ and His saving work. So, you, you understand this, right? When salvation. All of the benefits that God gives us, all the benefits that God provides in Jesus all of those benefits come to us through the Holy Spirit. That's how we get them. Not just you think you're doing something good and you get a benefit. It is the Spirit that gives those benefits. How? Let's break down that word redemption. I'll give you a couple of different words in no particular order. You could go to Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 31 and following. If you want to find sort of the order of salvation, you want to talk through that. I'm not real fond of talking about the order of salvation. I think salvation happens like um, when you open your eyes in the morning. So did you wake up first? Did your eyes open first? Did you open your eyes first? Did you see something? What happened first? Who knows? It just you open your eyes and you're awake. I'd like to say that salvation is like that. Right? The Spirit moves and I'm awake. Okay, so let's talk about the words. The first word is conviction. Conviction. The Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, brings conviction. You see that in John chapter 16, verses 8, 9, and 10. Do you guys have that? Okay, that, that's a really important passage. As Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit, and when He comes, when He comes, He will convict the world. Notice that it's everybody being convicted. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts the world. Concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction. 
Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. There's not a person in here that hasn't sensed conviction. There are two kinds of conviction, I think. The first conviction is when you come to Christ. You're convicted of your sin. You understand your lostness. You turn and put your faith in Jesus. That happened because the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought conviction, right? Everybody in agreement here so far? Okay. But that's not when conviction stops. I mean, I still get convicted. Don't you? If you don't, then you, there's something wrong with you. Right? If you're not convicted, conviction of, of, of sin and righteousness, judgment. Now, I know that regardless of the sin that I've committed, that sin has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. Nonetheless, I still feel the conviction that makes me thankful for the mercy of God that I find at the cross of Jesus. Right? Just me being convicted doesn't mean that now I'm going to hell because of the sin. No, that reminds me, Jesus paid for the sin. I still feel the weight of it. Conviction. Okay. Um, I, I want to, just for a moment, conviction, what is conviction? Conviction is sensing guilt and shame and then readying your heart for the hope that is in Jesus. Conviction, if it's left unchecked, it can put you into a spiral. So guilt can be, um, there's a lot of talk right now about toxic masculinity. I hate the phrase. Um, but there's toxic guilt. Guilt that is unchecked, right? Guilt, what does guilt do? Guilt drives me to the cross of Jesus. That's what conviction is there for. If you're a believer, you then can go to the cross and say, my sins are paid for there. I confess that to the Lord and seek mercy, right? Conviction. That's one way of thinking about it. There's another word is um, is um, conviction. I have regeneration here. Yeah, let's just let's talk about regen. How many of you ever heard the word regeneration? You don't hear it much in Baptist circles. It is a really good word for us to think about when it comes to conversion. How does regeneration work? Regeneration is the removal of the old sinful nature and the implanting of a new nature. That's what conversion is. Is the removal of the old nature and the implanting of the new nature. It's a dramatic effect. That's why um, we believe that, that there's no such thing as having Jesus as Savior and not having Him as Lord. Right? When you are converted, there is just something that happens to you. You go from being dead to being alive. You go from being blind to having sight. You were deaf, now you're here. So those are dramatic things. Regeneration is a dramatic. In fact, Jesus uh, teaches in John chapter 3. John 3 is a beautiful chapter. It's where we get John 3.16, God to love the world. It is a beautiful verse. Prior to that is a conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Y'all know the story with Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus comes to him at night. He wants to know you're the teacher. I want to know how does this work. Listen to what Jesus says to him in John chapter 3. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there is our conversion talk. You had 
I've had people say, are you one of those born-again Christians? And really, there's no other kind of Christian, right? I mean, you, I mean that, that's the only kind of Christian there is, according to what Jesus has said. Now, that phraseology, born again. How many of you um, here have actually been through the process of bearing a child? Raise your hand. Yeah, you've had a child. Right, it's all right. Tim, you didn't have a child. You fathered a child. You didn't have the child. I mean, actually physically giving birth to that child. You didn't do that, Tim. It is a traumatic. Now, I never have been in the room, and by God's grace, I never hope to be in the room when a baby is being born. I have been outside the room. It is a terrible, torturous thing. Jesus takes the language. Back then, not any drugs. And he says, Nicodemus, this is how dramatic it is. You must be born again. Something has to happen that's completely unheard of, Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? He's he not doing the math very well. Most think that there's probably something else. Going, they're, they're speaking in sort of a double entendre. They're, they're having a conversation about physical, but both of them know there's something spiritual. So Nicodemus, who's a teacher of the law, he's an old man, he's religious. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, maybe physical and spiritual, he cannot enter the kingdom. Now, now, now press on it, verse 6. Jesus says, now look. That which is born of flesh, Nicodemus, all of your righteous works, all of those good things you've done, all the times you've been to the synagogue, every bit of it that sounds really good on the resume, that which is born of flesh is flesh, Nicodemus. You've done it. You did that. You did that. In order to get into this kingdom, something else has to happen. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The strange mystery of the working of the wind. You can't generate it. You just know when it's there. Jesus introduces how conversion happens. Nothing you could do, Nicodemus. Have to have the Spirit. Regeneration. I think a, a, maybe a, a clearer, because it's such a mystery in John 3, a clearer uh, description of regeneration is found down in Titus chapter 3. You guys have that? Okay. Titus 3. Uh, listen to, to the description here. Talking about how Jesus saves us. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not why He saved us. But he did it according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is the Holy Spirit that did it, is what is being said in Titus. That is a beautiful passage when you go to think about how we are saved. It is God doing it. Okay, regeneration, talked about that. So let's talk about another word, conversion. I think conversion, 
uh, is a great way to describe what happens when we're saved. Um, I've given you a passage there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. By the way, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is a really good place to go to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll do some of that in a moment. But notice what Paul says. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, no one can actually come under the Lordship of Jesus. He's not saying literally any pagan that says Jesus is Lord is saved. What he's saying is you don't take Jesus on as Lord unless something has happened with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be involved, right? Conversion. I'll give you another word. I got a bunch of these. Whoa, I got 11. Is it 11? How many do I have? How much do I have? Hey, could you do that on Sunday mornings? Could you just shout that out maybe on Sunday? <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's go to the word. Um, oh, let's get through them. I can get through them. Let's go to the word justification. Justification is so much more than just if I had not sinned. If you've heard that before, you've used that justification, just if I, it certainly is that, right? It is that. We believe that when you're saved, it's just as if I had not sinned. It may help you remember the word, but that's not all justification is. There's more to it than that. There's a removal of the guilt, the impact of the sin, the, the effects of the sin, the position that it puts you in before God. Justification is something much bigger. You see the description in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Such were some of you. Look at the words. You were washed. We see the symbolism in baptism. Uh, it's a description of you were dirty in sin, you've been made clean. You were sanctified, meaning you were evil before, you now have been made holy. This is all that God does to us in Jesus. You were justified, you were guilty before, you deserve the punishment, and yet that guilt has been removed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit, justification. How about baptized? Let's go to the next one. I'll go quickly. How about baptized by the Holy Spirit? Baptized by the Spirit. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You see how the spirit is oftentimes um, uh, equated with something liquid, baptized in water, drinking the spirit. There is this filling, there is this covering, this, this saturation, this idea that the Holy Spirit is not something that is sort of tucked away in your life, but is actually throughout all of you. And part of our own growing in Christ is the Holy Spirit taking more and more control of who I am. It's what sanctification is. As I grow more like Jesus, I need the Holy Spirit to do that. Baptized. Um, I, I like the word sealed. Are y'all hearing a beeping? Yeah. Is it a microwave, really? It's not the microwave? Okay. Somebody hearing aid, you want to adjust your hearing aid or something? It is the microwave? Okay, well, if somebody put a hot pocket in there or something, you want to go get it. All right. 
you know, they, the, we have a school here, and this is the lunchroom. And who knows, some fifth grader did something to a, a microwave over there. Okay, let's get back, back on track. Baptized, how about sealed? Notice what the text says, Ephesians 1, verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Another uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. Stamped until the day of redemption. Marked. How about assurance? One of the things, if you're, if you're new to being a Baptist, one of the core convictions we have, uh, we used to call it perseverance of the saints. It's actually, uh, if you're going to use that terminology, I would say preservation. That is, it's not you persevering, working hard to keep your salvation. It is God and His grace preserving. So the preservation of the saints. Uh, but that means that we believe that once you're saved and in Christ, that's where you are for all eternity. You cannot and will not lose your salvation. Multiple scriptures that will defend that. One of them is um, Romans 8.16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John 4.13 By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. Did y'all hear that again? Do something with it, Marshall. My goodness. You're very... Marshall used a microwave a bunch. Do something with it. Did you, did you fix it? Thanks, Marshall. You're the man. Good job. Good job. <laughs> How many times in a Baptist church speaking do you interrupted by a microwave? <laughs> it's the devil in the microwave. All right. <clears throat> uh, no, I was, okay, all right, let's, get, let's stay here. Number eight, what does the Holy Spirit do? It shows us that we are adopted into God's family. Uh, Galatians 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. I mean, look at the equation. Because that's happened, God has given us the Spirit, and now we are children of God because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Adopted. It's a beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful phraseology, a beautiful picture. That's why adoption is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Okay, uh, another phrase, uh, nine. Continually filled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So, don't, don't get drunk, right. Instead, on the other hand, don't do that. What you should do, be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. So you see what the Holy Spirit does. What a, that Ephesians 5, 18, 19, 20, and 21 is a picture of what the Spirit does when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is a good picture of, I won't read the whole thing. One of the things we pray for is, is the Holy Spirit's guidance. In the morning when I get up, um, right now I'm reading the Bible. I'm using uh, the Reader's Bible. Are you all familiar with the Reader's Bible? It doesn't have chapters or verses. It's in six volumes. It's like a, just like a novel, what it looks like. 
it's like just reading a regular book. And so I'm reading that um, this, in the mornings now. And then once I'm done reading, that's when I'll, I'll just um, I use this journal right here. So this is where I'll just sort of write down, you know, my prayers. I'll date it and then put my weight over there. I don't know why I weigh myself every day. <laughs> Giving you a little picture into my personal life here. <laughs> but anyway, uh, hopefully it's going down some. And, and what I'll do here, along with prayers for Connie and for the boys and for you as a church and then whatever I might know about the staff and their children, um, praying for the Holy Spirit to, to, to guide I want to make wise decisions, right? Big things, small things. I don't think there's anything too small to put before the Lord, anything, anything too big. Just asking the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 is a good place for that to sort of substantiate asking uh, uh, God to give us guidance through the Holy Spirit. Something else, uh, the word sanctification. What is sanctification? Let me give you just a brief, a little short definition of sanctification. Sanctification is a progressive movement from sinfulness to holiness. It's all sanctification is. We're, we're hopefully getting better. A progressive movement over the course of time through faithfulness from how we used to be more sinful than we are. You're going to have setbacks, but you're, you're trying to go in the right direction. The Holy Spirit does that. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a good description. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a pretty quick run through some significant words that the Holy Spirit does. Now, let's talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a statement here about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit for? What, why has God given all of us here that are Christians? So if every person here is a Christian, you have been given a gift from the Holy Spirit. All of us. What is that gift given to us for? Why? Okay, so there it is. Holy Spirit gives us Christ-honoring gifts. The gifts are given to foster, to foster the church's growth, especially by equipping its members for ministry. So that, that gift has been given to you, not so that you can display your superpower that gift is given to you so that you then can be useful to the church and foster the church's health and growth. It's why God has you here. It's why you're a part of this assembly. It's why you're in this fellowship is, is to be a part of the, the church's health and growth. So I'll give you a couple of shoulds there before we even get to the Bible. I think members should. By the way, I think this is why membership is important. We value membership at Hickory Grove. We think it's important that you join this body of believers, you become an official member, and then you are accountable. That accountability is useful in church discipline. It's useful in, um, in growth, right? And so church members, 
I think you should identify your gift. I think you should learn how to use your gift. And I think you should then serve in ministries that line up or in accordance with your gifts. So let's talk about it. There are a couple of lists. I won't show them all, but just a few. Uh, Let me put a pause here. You'll notice that we've not used spiritual gift assessments here. Anybody ever done any of that, spiritual gift assessment? It becomes more or less almost like like a personality test, what it ends up being if you're not careful. And it also becomes very introspective. You start thinking about yourself a lot. I don't think that's the best way to find out what your gift is. I think the best way to find out what your gift is is to see how you function in the body and where you work. In fact, Tom Schreiner, who whatever he puts out, you should read it. Tom Schreiner says the best way to find out what your gift is is to give yourself, give yourself to the degree you can to Jesus and to his people. Give yourself as much as you can to people, and then God is going to put you in places where that gift uh, can be used. So Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a description of leadership and maturity. And I'll I'll just read it very quickly. Uh, You know what? Let's skip over that. Let's skip over. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 has uh, a description of, of leadership and equipping the saints. Um, verse 11 in that in chapter 4, let me read that to you. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So they are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ. So that's part of, of a pastor's job, right? That's some of the gifts. But there are lists of gifts. I'd like to give you a couple of lists. How about Romans chapter 12? Y'all have that in front of you? Yeah. So let me just go through. I'm finding my own Bible. Acts. Romans. Romans chapter 12. Go with me to verse 6. I'll back up. Start in verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So we all have different gifts, right? Verse 6. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, you know, service is a gift. Don't you love people with a servant's heart? I do. I'd love to watch them serve. If service in our, our, our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, maybe yours is generosity, in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does uh, acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you can just, there's a good list there of spiritual gifts. I'll show you um, another list of spiritual gifts. You can find it in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, that's where we're going to end up. 1 Corinthians 12. We can start in about, I have verse 4 there. Uh, Well, we'll start there reading it. Gracious, we're going to run out of time. Okay. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, same Lord. There are varieties of, of activities, 
But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For no one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So most of us don't have trouble thinking about the mundane spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts we get interested in are the sign gifts. The sign gifts, speaking in tongues, working of miracles, healings, and some would even say prophecy if you don't understand prophecy as preaching. I hate to introduce this with three minutes left in the class, but let me try. Most of us sitting in here are practically cessationists. The word cessationist means we live as if those gifts have ceased. I would say that you could even say that many of us theologically are cessationists. That is to say that the sign gifts are no longer here because we have the Bible, the New Testament. The sign gifts, what were the sign gifts there for? Let's talk about why the sign gifts were there. If you were to go and and look at all of the times of sign gifts, whether it's speaking in tongues or healing or, or, or miracles, why were they there? They were there as a sign to give authority to the message. So the apostles, when they performed these miracles, they were signs that said, what this man is saying is true. A sign gift is always there uh, to give revelation. And if they continued, then, then they're going to compete with the authority of the Bible. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that the church, uh, it's, as its foundation, do you know what the foundation of the church is? Jesus is the foundation. He's the rock. But right there are two things uh, that the church is built on and it's the foundation that is the, the apostles and the prophets. The apostles, the twelve apostles, and the prophets. Those prophets are New Testament prophets. That is the, what the apostles have written for us, that we're with Jesus, what the prophets of the New Testament, not the Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets had preached for us, found in what is known as the canon of the Bible. That is the foundation. It is closed, and the church is built on that. There's, there's no other need for direct revelation. In other words, God is not giving you some word that is equal to the authority of the Bible. God speaks to us through the Bible. That is, the Holy Spirit has given us His word, and this is how He speaks. I would say... Um, there are a couple of reasons I think that's true. The speaking of speaking in tongues in the New Testament 
especially in Acts, you might can make a case differently in 1 Corinthians, is another language, especially in Acts. We, we read it in Acts chapter 2. And that clarity or interpretation of that could have been someone being able to translate the language. Right? That language uh, and that speaking in tongues, that was there to give all authenticity to the message. The sign gifts were there to point us to the centrality of Christ. The reason I don't think they are what we see today in modern charismatic churches, and there are brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not saying they're going to hell or they're heretics, I'm not saying that at all. I differ with them on the sign gifts because they don't match what happened in the New Testament. The miracles in the New Testament were people being raised from the dead. A shadow of an apostle going across them and them being healed completely. If, if people still had those gifts, then our hospitals would be completely emptied. Right? And, and so, I, if you want to talk about it later, we could. I want to say that the, the gifts were there to point us to the gospel. And if you're not careful, then the gifts become the primary thing. I think that happens in oftentimes. When I want for our church... And I think the New Testament says the primary thing must be the gospel of Jesus. And that's what the Bible, Old and New Testament, points us to. I'll stop there. Person, work, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel that saves us through Jesus. We do thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would seal us, that you would guide us, that you would convict us, that you would forgive us. Father, I, I pray that in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would awaken those that still struggle with sin. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd give us great discernment and wisdom. We pray that you would motivate us to live for Jesus. We pray that you protect our families and our children. Holy Spirit, I pray that you wake me up tomorrow morning in enough time to spend time in your word. I pray the same for brothers and sisters here. And that you bring us here safely Sunday to lift up the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening so good.